Good morning. You're tuned in to KBBI Homer AM 890 and in Seward on Translator K201AO 88.1 FM. I'm Josh Crone. I'll be your host this morning for the coffee table. And joining me in the studio this morning, KBBI reporter Jamie Deep. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Good to be here. And joining us for this program, we are going to have an hour of information about public health. And we have public health nurse Lauren Carroll joining us on the line and South Peninsula Hospital spokesperson Dorotha Ferrero on the line. Lauren, do you hear me? I can, but you're a little soft and low volume. A little soft and low volume. Let me see if I can do anything to bump that up for you. And Dorotha, can you hear me also? I'm going to try that. Uh, do you hear me a little bit better there, Lauren? Ooh, you inched up just a little bit. Okay, I'm going to try that just a little bit more. How's that sound? Wow, you're right in the range there. Thanks, Josh. Okay, wonderful. Love technology. And uh, Dorotha, can we hear you? Loud and clear. Thank you. Excellent. We're all here. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us this morning on the coffee table. And uh, we've been... Uh, We've been kicking around the idea of trying to get a show off the ground with the both of you here for a couple of months, and uh, we're finally getting it uh, getting it going here. So uh, thank you for your time, and uh, I appreciate your uh, wisdom in joining us with this show, and uh, looking forward to hearing what we can talk about. So we've got an hour, and we'd like to talk about public health in the community, and we'd like to know about uh, the current status of things and information about uh, new vaccines, uh, what kinds of uh, situations, what kind of illnesses are going around the communities at the moment, and uh, what kind of events are going on in the public health community and at the hospital. So let's go ahead and get started here. And let's start with you, Lauren. And let's talk about just a, uh, an overview uh, over the top, talking about what's happening in the community, what kind of uh, illnesses, what kind of uh, things are going around, and what people are dealing with. Oh, yeah, sure thing, Josh. <clears throat> you know, this time of year is when we really start to think about, see, and hear about respiratory illnesses. And so that's just a, a way of saying, uh, lung issues, those lung issues that are usually short-term. And there's three that kind of rise to the top, especially this time of year in Alaska, that's flu, COVID, and RSV. And kind of stepping back and kind of looking at first part of August through right now, there's a couple trends. One, the biggest clear trend is influenza is on the rise, and that's across the state. Uh, and also, COVID has maintained kind of a steady presence throughout Alaska from August, early August through right now. And RSV itself uh, is hasn't really started going right now, but reflecting to last year, right now is the time that RSV started to uh, increase in, in incidence. That's more cases. And it peaked out to last year around December or January. So we're really expecting RSV to increase over the next several weeks and months. Okay. Um, and there's, there's information about RSV. Uh, we'll get into this in a little bit in the program when we talk about vaccines. But there's a, there's a shortage. Is that uh, what I understand about that, of uh, RSV vaccines for children? Oh, yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Uh, you know, the short of it is that how I think about it. Uh, there's, there's two kinds of RSV things out there. One is vaccines. That's for adults. And people 60 and older should consider getting one of those. Contact your doctor. And the second thing is RSV for children is actually monoclonal antibodies. And there is a shortage of monoclonal antibodies for RSV for kiddos across the United States, and CDC recently hit pause on Alaska's orders. <clears throat> so in response, uh, the section of epidemiology and the division of, of public health has outlined prioritized criteria. So it kind of helps the whole medical or healthcare community answer, well, I've got a kiddo in front of me right now. Should I give them vaccines or not? And so those kind of high-priority criteria really hover around two kind of things, age and where somebody lives. So a lot of it, it hovers around six-month-olds, little babies, and also that they live way outside of population hubs. So folks that are in the in villages or otherwise away from 
uh, healthcare hubs like uh, hospitals. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, are there any other situations going around in the communities right now that the uh, that we should be aware of? So we've got the, the flu is going up, uh, COVID is remaining at a steady rate, and RSV, we are uh, predicting that it is going to start going up soon. Any Anything else? Well, I get, you know, I guess from a public health perspective, I would say yes. Uh, there's not any known pertussis circulating. It's probably out there somewhere, but I'm unaware of it. And that's on SKP, the Southern Peninsula, but also throughout the state. Uh, but from a public health perspective, sure, we've got a, a burden or a challenge of uh, non-communicable diseases. So what I'm talking about is things like cancer and heart disease and in, in, uh, diabetes. And these are kind of those things that uh, I kind of think of them as like elephants in the room. And they're elephants in the room because they're difficult. And sometimes people don't want to talk about them because it's complicated. Hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to remind our listeners that we are taking calls this morning. If you have any question for our panel here, you can give us a call here at the station, 907-235-7721. Jimmy is standing by to take your call. And, well, let's see. Uh, Dorotha, let's check in with you really quick, and let's get an update on the condition of things at the hospital. Good morning, Josh, and thank you. Um, well, all's well here at the hospital. We had a really nice day yesterday welcoming trick-or-treaters to various parts of the hospital. The long-term care residents um, in the nursing home, they welcomed lots of trick-or-treaters, Seaworthy Functional Medicine participated in the Pioneer Avenue, and um, we're looking forward to this Saturday at the health fair. Um, part of the fair is a candy exchange where little trick-or-treaters can bring their candy in for some um, fun prizes. So just coming off the heels of um, trick-or-treat. As far as the RSV flu COVID um, situation, you know there's a lot of information to share, and I'm just not 100% certain that that this venue is going to be trackable for everybody to, to follow along. Um, I'll, with, with your permission, I'll just kind of start with where the tests and vaccines are available for kind of everything. Does that sound okay? That sounds great. Let's go for it. Okay, great. So for COVID, um, we had been offering that for testing, for COVID testing, we had been offering um, the free home test kits while supplies last. And we at the hospital and the clinics are out of the free home test kits. So right now we can offer a request of a request a test in the lab. And there is a $50 fee for that. And that is a PCR COVID test. Or we can encourage you to seek out other places in the community that may or may not still have um, home tests in in stock, I believe the chamber and the library do have some. Um, and also we're really encouraging folks to, especially on the eve here of the holiday season now, to um, go on to COVID, um, covidtest.gov and it is covidtest.gov. And if you go there, you just put your name and address in, and four boxes will be sent to you, four home test kits. And there's also an 800 number, 800-232-0233. So a variety of options there for COVID testing. If you are symptomatic, your primary care um, provider will certainly test you. So like if you go to Homer Medical or the Family Care Clinic or any of the, um, you know, if you're ill, you will be tested in a um, clinic setting as well, no problem. So that's kind of the testing and the, um, the, the actual vaccine itself. We do have um, COVID vaccine in stock at Homer Medical Center. Um, and you can just call the clinic 235-8586 and make an appointment. It's covered by insurances, um, the, the, in, the administration and the um, supply itself, or it's covered through the um, state vaccine um, program. And if you are in a situation that you are unable to pay the administration fee of going through that, don't worry, we'll, um, we'll make that work for you for the uninsured. So that's 235-8586 for Homer Medical to make an appointment. And the fam Family Care Clinic has not yet received there, so um, stand by um, for that. Either clinic, add it to your regular visit if you already have a, a schedule, no, no matter kind of what clinic you're going to. Um, but the Family Care and Homer Medical Clinic, you do not have to be a patient there to call and get yours. Same with Safeway. Safeway has both Moderna and Pfizer in stock, and um, those can be um, made by calling 
1060 to make an appointment at um, Safeway. At the hospital at Homer Medical at Family Care Clinic, we do not have RSV vaccines yet. So um, our lab is seeing positives on RSV, COVID, and flu. So um, we uh, are seeing it in the community, but we do not yet have the vaccines. But everybody has left flu shots. So um, all the clinics have flu shots available. Again, add it to your um, visit. You can add a flu shot to your Rotary Health Fair labs. If you haven't come in yet to do Rotary Health Fair labs, there's appointments um, today, tomorrow, and um, Friday. Um, and we are also doing a little free pop-up um, flu shot event on Wednesday, November 15th at the college from five to six, or this Saturday at the health fair, you can come and get a free flu shot there. So lots of free flu shots everywhere. So all this information is on the hospital website, sphosp.org. Great. Thank you, Dorotha. Um, well, you know, it seems like it's been a really long time since we've had one of these uh, uh, sit-down conversations with uh, with the both of you, and uh, kind of harkening back to old times here with uh, both of you on Zoom and not in the studio. Um, uh, however, one of the things we used to ask uh, when we did these shows was, uh, how is the uh, capacity at the hospital right now? How are things uh, functioning at the moment? Things are functioning well. Um, it's been a year ago that we took on a new model for inpatient, and that was um, having um, designated um, hospitalists. And so Dr. Ben Dixon, Dr. Sarah Roberts, and Dr. Christy Martinez are our hospitalists, and that has been uh, a, a full year now. And that model of care is just really working out great to have three designated um, physicians that are really managing all of the inpatient care. Um, specific to the um, these um, uh, respiratory illness, um, flu, COVID, and RSV, we haven't had um, hospitalizations in October related to that. So I think part of what that shows is just really, you know, um, building immunity to flu and COVID um, is really important because it through vaccines, it really does help um, reduce hospitalizations. And seeking out care in a timely manner. Um, if you're experiencing symptoms of any type, you know, just calling your primary care provider and getting some advice over the phone or getting an appointment is, um, is really great. Tuesdays and Thursdays at Homer Medical, we do have the um, kind of the walk-in clinics. So um, even if you don't have an appointment, we'll try to get you in um, that way as well. Excellent. Um, also, the last time we talked, the hospital was having some issues with uh, staffing, specifically with nurses. Is uh, the staffing issues at the hospital, is that getting better? It is getting better. It's definitely not back to pre-pandemic um, uh, 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 levels. Um, we're still experiencing shortages, but not nearly at the levels that we were during the pandemic. We have been really successful at transitioning some of the travelers that joined us during the pandemic, transitioning them into employees. So it's been a really, you know, interesting and rewarding um, exercise to introduce our organization and this community to, um, you know, folks from out of state and they realize, wow, this is a really great place to live and work. And then just helping them with that lengthy transition because you don't just go from traveler to employee. There's all kinds of um, contracts that you've agreed to and um, stipulations you've agreed to. So it's a timely um, process, but that's been really good. We've also really been able to up our recruitment efforts within the state and just try to offer um, offer incentives, but also just really focus more on the um, awareness of the benefits of living in Homer, the benefits of working at the hospital. And that's been really, really helpful with um, our recruitment's efforts. So yes, we had still have a lot of openings, but it was not nearly the level that we were at in the pandemic. Excellent. That's great to hear. Um, and now when you talk about travelers, you're talking about nurses through the traveling nurse program? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And uh, well, that's excellent. You got some of them to uh, uh, to hang around. We've got a, a great recruitment tool of the range of mountains across the bay. I think. Uh, 
good quality. We of life. have a great recruitment tool, not only of the physical environment, but the people who live here. It, like that's a great. Everybody says, "Wow, this is such a nice place to live." Everybody's so nice and friendly. So that's really a, a an asset that we can't add to our benefit package. It's just the community. Excellent. Well said. Okay. Um, all right. Thank you, Dorotha. Um, let's see where from here. Jamie, do you have any questions you want to jump in with? Um, not at the moment. Not at the moment. All right. Well, uh, let me make another invitation out to listeners that if you have any questions for our panel, you can give us a call, 907-235-7721. Jimmy is standing by to take your call and transfer you into the studio. If you'd rather not go on the air, uh, you can read your question to Jimmy, and he'll transfer that into us, and we will ask that for you. So let's go ahead and talk about, let's see, I've got a couple of things on my list here. Um, one of the things that we don't have uh, at our fingertips any longer is the uh, very uh, robust bit of information that the state compiled on specifically COVID conditions. The, the dashboard for that is really not that functional anymore, and it doesn't seem to be updated uh, on any kind of regularity that I can see. Um, do we have any good ideas on percentages on how COVID is actually uh, behaving in the community? Um, I know that hospitalization has been down considerably. Uh, vaccines, I, from last I heard, they're kind of low to middling. They're not really coming up very much. Um, but there's not a whole lot of serious outcomes from COVID these days. Where are we really at? That's a great question, Josh. I guess I would say just like uh, community health status and staffing, um, also dashboards and access to information continues to change. Uh, but there's a couple upshots. Uh, one of them is that the Division of Public Health has created and launched a respiratory virus snapshot. So if you're the kind of person that likes to keep an eye on specific surveillance data, that's available to you right now if you have access to the internet. Just search Alaska Respiratory Virus Snapshot. And if you scroll down that page, it have, has things like uh, respiratory illnesses, uh, cases by week. Uh, so that's where I got that information of how things are looking from the first part of August through now. Um, but it also has COVID cases uh, by season and by week. So what I mean by that, is you'll see the current season and that activity kind of staying um, relatively low and consistent for COVID-19. Uh, but you'll also be able to see that we had a big spike in February of the 21-22 season. But you'll also see uh, in the 20 and 21 season, the spike was in December. So you see that COVID has from year to year or season to seasons just all over the place. You also get a, a look at what kinds or what types of influenza are thought to be circulating around the state. So right now, very clear that it's type A, got a little bit of type B, but the majority is thought to be uh, type A. And the reason why I say why it's thought to be is that these are the, the, the influenza specimens that are actually tested in type. So we, we stick that information on the board and it gets us a very good idea of what's circulating. And that's similar to what's circulating in the lower 48. Next, you'll get a look at sur surveillance in, re in relation to syndromic surveillance. So this is kind of what hospitals are seeing, like respiratory-like illnesses, according to the weeks or days of the month. And so right now, you'll notice that we're having an increase in all acute respiratory uh, illnesses. So if you're uh, thinking about traveling, um, like I am, a good time to get a flu shot and update your COVID vaccine. I actually just made an appointment with my favorite local pharmacy this morning for COVID and flu vaccine. Uh, it took about four minutes, and I'm going to get in at 1230 uh, today. Pretty quick and easy. But also, I noticed this morning uh, the hospital status dashboard that we got used to during COVID, it's still up and running. So a lot of those hospitals uh, updated just uh, this morning and some of them yesterday. So kind of a brief uh, outlook or kind of report there is in the Anchorage Bowl, there's uh, several adult ICUs closed or near capacity for adult non-ICU. Psych is closed, but emergency departments are wide open um, in the Anchorage Bowl. And then in the Southeast, we're seeing things are looking pretty good too. 
Great, thank you. Okay, um, so we talked a little bit about uh, the vaccines for the flu virus that are currently available, and I and I will uh, second that that it was uh, a super easy and uh, easy to uh, get my flu vaccine here with my son here about a week ago. We uh, made an appointment with one of the local clinics and uh, we were in and out in about mm, 15 minutes. Um, and uh, we did opt for the, uh, the, the mist for the flu vaccine for, for my son, uh, just because we were also getting COVID shots at the same time. And we figured that uh, he didn't really want to get a shot on each shoulder. Um, so for his sake, uh, the mist was an uh, easy solution. Uh, is there any difference in efficacy between the getting a mist and getting a shot? You know, at, at the end of the day, uh, there's really not that much difference. And the reason why I say that is access to flu vaccine and actually getting it is the biggest predictor or the biggest uh, benefit that you can get. Uh, so that's passive immunity without actually getting the disease, not being able to go to school or spreading it to other people. Um, but also, I think I would mention, too, that flu vaccine, it's really a, a little bit challenging to access at the public health center if you have Medicaid or Medicare and you're an adult. So here's what I mean. If you're 19 years of age or older, flu vaccine's not available uh, to you at the public health center if you're on Medicaid only or Medicare only. So that's kind of a gap that the state's working with federal partners and other state partners on. No solutions yet, but a lot of other choices like medical homes, Rotary Health Care, uh, and uh, also local pharmacies. Great. Okay, uh, let's move over to COVID vaccines. That's something we haven't had a discussion on in quite a while. So here about what is going on about a year, maybe more than a year since the last time we had a really in-depth conversation about this. And there were uh, three major COVID vaccines on the market at the time. Uh, that would have been uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and, uh, oh, help me, what was the other one? <laughs> Novavax? No, there was a different one. Um, anyway, regardless, all of those have really kind of changed here in the last uh, last six months. Um, there are new uh, formulations for the current year, uh, for the current uh, cycle of variants. Um, and uh, I see that Pfizer and Moderna are still on the list. Novavax is the, the one that's uh, uh, also being offered now as well. Um, so uh, I guess, first of all, can you give us a description about what is the difference between, say, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines from a year ago and where they're at now? Why, uh, when, why did we make those changes? Sure thing. I, I think some of the take-homes are is uh, it, it's largely more simple these days in regards to choices and currently for moving forward. So a couple of the high points are, is the language evolved? Uh, quite a bit. So now folks are kind of talking about it in two ways, either referring to it as monovalent COVID vaccine, or folks are also calling it uh, the 2023, 2024 formulation. Mm -hmm. So that looks and feels kind of like the flu vaccine in the sense of the vaccines being uh, built or prepared for what's circulating currently. So yeah, you've got it. There's uh, three different kinds of offerings or three manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, and Novavax, uh, and that's uh, almost available for, for most ages. So Moderna and Pfizer are available or manufactured for six months and up. It's only one shot, and also Novavax is only one shot, but that's currently only available for 12 years and up. Okay. Um, and then the as a monovalent uh, vaccine, that is meant to only address one strain? Variant is that uh, that the under uh, is that correct? That's correct. Or, or kind of a, a way of thinking about it is, it's closer to the family tree of the strains that are circulating right right now versus the original SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, so it's kind of it's updated. It and more closely resembles epidemiologically what's circulating around the globe and the country right now. So as far as the variants go with COVID, um, I know we had a, it was like a wild goose chase here for a couple of years and every, every four or five months we're looking at a, a several new variations and uh, uh, one would take off and become dominant for a few months and then another one would take off and become dominant and there was sort of a, a, a progressive uh, act 
on the the part of the virus where it was it was progressing in what seemed like a linear fashion, but that's not really happening anymore. Uh, it kind of stopped on one variant, but then it's it's branched out. Is that correct? <laughs> no, as as you're uh, talking about that, I was waiting for my uh, surveillance to load. Uh, but yeah, one thing that's remained consistent is it continues to evolve. And the other thing that remains consistent is we're still looking for two uh, key things. If the next uh, emerging variant or the most common uh, sequenced variant, if it's more transmissible, easier to transmit from person to person. And the other major variant is if it does more damage to people that get it. Um, so we're currently in the high transmissible kind of area of variants and relatively low damage that the virus is doing to people as compared to Delta. Um, so if that were to change in the future, then I think that you would see uh, communications and vaccine and also response shifting gears too, because that could potentially have increased impact on healthcare systems like hospitals and medical homes. Okay. Well, the time is 9.30. We're going to take a very short break here, and we'll come back and uh, continue the discussion. Uh, if you are listening right now and you'd like to join the conversation, you can give us a call, 907-235-7721. Jimmy is standing by to take that call. Uh, our guests on the on the line today, we have public health ner- nurse Lauren Carroll and South Peninsula Hospital spokesperson Dorotha Ferrero. Uh, thank you both for joining us this morning. You're tuned into KBBI, Homer, AM 890, and in Seward, 88.1 FM. The time is 9.33, and you're listening to The Coffee Table here on KBBI. And this morning's focus is on community health, and I have public health nurse Lauren Carroll and South Peninsula Hospital spokesperson Dorotha Ferrero on the line with me. Good morning to both of you. Hey, Josh. You're loud and clear. Great. Good morning. And we are taking calls this morning as well. If you'd like to join the conversation with us, you can give us a call, 907-235-7721. And Jimmy is standing by to transfer that call in to us. And if you would rather not go on the air live, you can tell Jimmy your question, and he will transcribe that for us, and we'll read it for you in the studio. So if you have any questions, go ahead and give us a call, 907-235-7721. So to continue the conversation here, uh, let's jump back to something we touched on very early in the uh, discussion about non-communicable diseases, uh, things that are uh, not something that is transmissible between people, but is a uh, large concern for public health in the community. Uh, Lauren, do you want to start off on that? Oh, sure. I'll I'll get a take a shot at it. I think, you know, kind of what comes to mind to me is the community recently completed uh, a current iteration of the community health needs assessment. So this is something that MAP steering committee has helped to kind of set the stage for, but it's really the community that's done that, another iteration. This is something that Southern Kenai Peninsula has been doing since uh, 2008. And uh, some top findings, there's quite a few things that come out of there. If you uh, like to sit down with a cup of coffee on the weekend, um, I would allow a couple hours to, to flip through it because there's a lot of data in there. Uh, but some of the high points are, uh, you know, we're increasing in population about two and a half percent as compared to about three years ago. So we can now say that we're over 15,500 people on Southern Peninsula. And also who are we? Baby boomers are, you know, getting older, obviously, but also the Southern Peninsula has a higher median and average age as compared to Alaska and the US. So folks that are getting older um, have different sets of needs than everyone else. But that was kind of finding that came out too. And specifically what findings of the the leading causes of death remained pretty much the same over the past three recordable years, 2019 through 2021. And those two top ones were heart diseases and cancers. Um, and then the third for the most recent year was COVID-19. Um, but also COVID itself had a lot of impacts and the community reported on that in, in many different ways in the different parts of it. But one main part was a perception survey. 
So over a thousand people or almost one out of 15 people in the Southern uh, Peninsula reported on, you know, what, what happened with COVID or, or what did that do to you? Um, overall, uh, kind of generally it impacted pretty much all parts of our lives. But one, one part kind of rises to the top is it interfered with job security amongst one out of five of us. So that impacts other parts of our life too, like the ability uh, to exercise and, and maintain like healthy diets or improve our diets. But also in terms of mental health, that rose to the top as a cross-cutting theme. And what I mean by cross-cutting theme is concerns and services about mental health uh, for adults and for youth uh, popped up in all parts of, of the community health needs assessment. So specifically, around one out of five people experienced an unexpected loss of a loved one uh, due to COVID-19. Um, but also about the same rate, one out of five uh, have a loved one that had lingering impacts of COVID or long COVID. So those are things where after you get COVID, you're not the same as you were before COVID, uh, especially within or after three months of uh, COVID infection. Uh, but here's the upshot. Uh, we asked the community in the survey, you know, what are some of the more positive or the most positive things? Natural beauty um, rose to the top again as number one. So that's not a surprise to a lot of us, but there's a lot of kind of equity or potential in there. I was just kind of looking out the window right now. I'm looking forward to taking a walk after we're done here. Excellent. Um, so as far as the... Uh volume of non-communicable diseases that are prevalent in our community, what kind of an impact is that having on our medical community, on the uh, hospital and on, on the clinic's ability to, uh, to, to handle those? Well, the demand is definitely increasing. So for example, um, our infusion clinic that um, does outpatient infusions not only for cancer treatment, but for a variety of other um, treatments, um, our infusion clinic has more than tripled the number of patients served just in the last um, three and a half years. So when you are seeing, like, th that's a variety of reasons. You know, one, it might be awareness that, oh, people realize they can um, do their treatment here, whether it's their cancer treatment or other. Um, but two, it's the <clears throat> increase of need, um, which is based on um, disease levels throughout the community. So our infusion clinic, for example, <clears throat> currently, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> currently that is in it. Let me cover for you there for just a, just a second, Jaretha. <laughs> challenging i know i'm feeling the same way right now it's uh um and i'll go back we uh my son and i had our vaccines on friday and uh um we're having this debate on whether the vaccines caused something or we just happened to get them at just the right time that something else got us also uh, it seems that seems is to be always bit, the million dollar question <laughs> a bit, a bit of uh, uh, <laughs> of heaviness in the lungs right now yeah. i'll defer to the nurse on that one <laughs> Well, I'm happy to give an answer. Um, in the activated flu vaccine, it's actually impossible to get the virus from the vaccine because the virus in itself doesn't exist in, in, in a form that's viable. It's impossible. Um, but the thing I can tell you or repeat is the incidence of influenza is increasing right now. So the chances of you walking around uh, the community to do your errands and to have fun and socialize or to be at work, the chances of you being exposed to influenza are pretty significant. So you can't really, uh, you know, measure that per person, um, but it's out there. And so, uh, yeah, but I would say, you know, the, the live attenuated or the flu mist, it actually has uh, what we call a attenuated or repeat cultured uh, virus. And so what that does is weaken it and really decreases and almost eliminates the, the chance of having an issue. Uh, but it is possible someone could have a, a mild reaction to the live attenuated vaccine and have some kinds of signs and symptoms that are kind of similar to if the person had an infection with the, with the virus itself. 
Great. Thank, Thank you, you, Lauren. So um, to the question about the clinic, so the infusion clinic is one example. So as a response, so the, the hospital responds to these community health needs assessment. So we conduct them and we in our community conduct them co collectively as partnerships. Um, but then the community writes a community health improvement plan. We, we pick one or two things as a community to address. But then the hospital does its own plan, which is called our implementation strategy that we then respond to the needs. So for example, the um, the using the infusion clinic growth um, as an example, we have applied to the state of Alaska for a certificate of need to um, expand our infusion clinic services to expand cancer treatment here locally. So the um, application for a certificate of need is based on um, certain financial thresholds of what a new service line might cost. And so right now the application is before the state. They reviewed it. Um, they've asked all the questions. There was a public hearing. And now we're just waiting to hear back from the state um, permission to go ahead and expand. And if they do that, we would be utilizing the lower level of the um, hospital, the, the half moon that faces the bay that upstairs is the patient rooms and that lower level was built for um, growth for the organization to meet the needs of the community and so this would be the uh, an ideal um, location for that because the the space would have views as we know um, infusions um, can be lengthy in time and so it'd be a lovely spot for that and um, right in the hospital um, building so we're waiting so that's an, an example Another is um, orthopedic needs. And so um, Dr. Menser has been here practicing part-time with Dr. Adcox in the orthopedic clinic. And he has um, is has agreed to come on full-time and um, really grow services in that um, clinic. So another example of um, responding to the needs. One of the needs um, identified was um, child care services for the community. And so the hospital has applied for um, a grant to um, create and offer child care services to hospital employees, first hospital employees, and um, help with that, um, help reduce the burden in the community um, of that um, unmet need. So just a, like a few examples of how the assessment surfaces, opportunities, and then it's up to the hospital, but also all of the local organizations to work together to um, try to um, try to address those. Okay, thank you, Dorotha. Uh, let's take a step back here for just a second, and uh, let's talk about the community health assessment. Um, where did that start, and uh, what was the whole purpose on that? Uh, we talked about the hospital's response with the, the community health assessment, but uh, where, what was the driving force, I suppose? What uh, what started that process? I missed that question. Lauren, do you want to take it? Oh, sure. Josh was asking, I believe, the community health needs assessment. What started or prompted that, that process? Okay. Um, thank you. So that started um, in 2008, um, the hospital's health educator um, that does community health education. When she was hired, the first thing she said, Anne-Marie, if you're out there listening, it was all your fault. No, I'm only kidding. Um, Anne-Marie said, um, well, where's your health needs assessment? And everybody looked at each other and she said, okay, the first thing we're doing is a health needs assessment. <clears throat> and then she researched different health needs assessment models and found the MAP model. And the MAP model is the kind of the gold star created by NACHO, National Association of City and Health um, city and county health officials with advisement from CDC on how to conduct a health needs assessment and how to um, mo mobilize community engagement to address the findings. And so we adopted the MAP model back then, um, 2008, for our first um, assessment, which was published in nine, and we've been doing it every three years since. The three-year rotation, um, coincidentally, a few years after that, um, the IRS started making it a requirement for hospitals to be involved in health needs assessment. And um, so we were already set up with one and all the partners involved. And so now the three-year rotation is driven by that. And so we've been doing it every three years since. Okay. That really helps put a, a, a finer point on where to direct all of your resources for the hospital then gives you a, a, a better way to, to utilize every uh Everything, every staff member, um, make sure that you're uh, addressing things that are actually beneficial for the community and not just having a stock of random things ready to go. 
Absolutely. And I want to make sure that the hospital is not the only beneficiary of this information, meaning we're not the only ones that can use it meaningfully. Any business or organization can benefit by reviewing these numbers and this data because those are your customers, those that's your workforce, that's like the reality that that you're facing. You can, if you're a nonprofit, you can use it in grant applications and and business planning. So, um, really great, uh, great tool. The um, assessment is long and it's PDFs, but it can be found at the hospital website in the community health needs assessment tab. Okay, and uh, sphosp.org for the South Peninsula Hospital website. Great. Uh, anything else that we need to touch on for that? We kind of drifted from the uh, non-communicable diseases over to the community health needs assessments. Um, anything we missed there before we move on to the next subject? Yeah, I guess I would say it's kind of all tied tied in together. You know, we uh, we kind of took a step back after the data was collected and kind of listed out all the, uh, the themes and made a grand list, prioritized them. And it was real obvious that the top six was separated from the rest of them. So the steering committee took those top six to the community and said, hey, now that we're hosting this community, we want to say great work on the community health needs assessment. Now we want to know which one of these or two or three do you want to work on? And so those top six were kind of the big themes that that popped to that rose to the surface or kind of the things that the community said we really need to work on these and those were food insecurity physical health and child care substance misuse housing and mental health so it's a long list of six um but i'll tell you one that rose to the top is housing and, and that's very closely connected to things like heart disease and obesity and those are the things that are driving things like cancer and heart disease are, are leading causes of death. So if we work on housing and we're working on it right now as a community, then we'll impact those non-communicable diseases, all connected. The other finding um, related to all of those subjects was how aware um, community members were about the resources that already existed related to address the, these needs. And so we are working collaboratively to um, create additional ways. Um, no way is going to be perfect, but to create additional ways to connect people to the resource that they need at the right time. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's move on. Oh, Jamie, uh, would you like to ask a question? Yeah, and I, um, as someone who's been kind of following what, what MAP has been doing, like who can be involved in the process to kind of like work on these strategies and these pl and, 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 and things that the hospital and, and the community is doing moving forward? <laughs> That's a great question. As you uh, asked that, I noticed that both Dorotha and I started to smile. Dorotha, do you want to take that? So MAP is a um, health coalition, so it's not an organization. It's a coalition of interested um, parties. So a party can be an individual or a business or a nonprofit or, or anything. Um, MAP is the MAP is facilitated by a contractor, um, Elemental Consulting, Hannah Gustafson, and we meet regularly. We have quarterly meetings. We have work work group meetings, and then we have a steering committee. So the consultant is funded by the steering committee, um, primarily um, the hospital, but all the steering committee agencies um, contribute. So as far as meetings go, um, I don't know the date of our next quarterly meeting, but um, if you go to the MAP website, MAP of SKP, um, the meeting dates will be there. Um, and folks can also, let me quickly get um, our email straight so that I know for sure which email I'm saying, or Lauren, if you know it, go ahead. MAP of SKP, M-A-P-P. And MAP in this case is mobilizing to action through planning and partnerships. So it's M-A-P-P. So MAP, M-A-P-P of SKP, Southern Kenai Peninsula at gmail.com, MAP of SKP at gmail.com, or just the website. Great. Thanks, Dorotha. And to, to further answer your question, how can you get involved or specifically, well, the steering committee recently hosted two meetings on October 13th and then October 27th. And that's where 
the community voted and expressed their thoughts uh, regarding what we should focus on as a community. And now moving forward, uh, folks have volunteered uh, to be on a committee to outline resources and action plans in order to impact these areas that really need improvement like housing. And so if you wanna get plugged into those, uh, just email MAP or you can contact any of the MAP steering committee partners and we'll be sure to connect you. And all of that, the website is mapofskp.net, mapofskp.net. Specifically to the hospital um, question, Jamie, um, the hospital is locally owned and locally operated. So we have a board of directors. We have the service area board of directors. We have a foundation board of directors. So there's lots of community involved. We have auxiliary um, volunteer um, members. So we have lots of different pockets of community members that are really actively involved in a non-staff way. Um, to directing um, and informing some of these decisions, and then obviously uh, hospital leadership as well. So um, the, the hospital welcomes community input as well, because we're the locally owned and operated community hospital. Great. All right, thank you, Dorotha. Okay, uh, well, we are down to our last five or six minutes of the program here, and we do have one last subject we want to touch on, uh, a uh, now uh, perennial event. Um, it's been going strong for a good long time now, um, the Rotary Health Fair, and that is starting... 40 years. 40 years long. We're in our wow. 40th year. Talk about a tradition. 40th year for the Rotary Health Fair. It started in the hallway outside of the laboratory of the hospital when it was on the lower level downstairs. So the fair used to just be down the hallway with a little table set up and it's grown to um, totally occupy the commons and gymnasium for a day. Um, we have about, I think we're up to about 63 booths this year and um, not our peak, but definitely, you know, a, a great showing um, considering we were absent um, during COVID. So really excited about the fair this Saturday at the high school from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So there's still time. One of the time-honored offerings at the fair um, or prior to the fair is discounted um, blood tests. And you know, all of the, a lot of those diseases that we were talking about earlier, those non-communicable, you know, diabetes or cancer or heart disease, a lot of those can be caught early with appropriate um, testing and screening. One of the testing that can be done is blood tests. And um, so right now, as we speak, over in conference room three at the hospital, we are offering discounted blood tests. Um, the, they are offered through Rotary. You, you buy them from Rotary as a fundraiser for their scholarship program. And the hospital lab um, has a little lab set up over in conference room three and does the blood test. And then you come to the fair on Saturday and pick them up. Or you can pick up your results in the portal too, but it's fun to come to the fair because we have um, medical professionals at the fair that can help you read your results. And we have over 60 booths of exhibitors that are offering health education and information. They offer some screenings. Peggy Allen will be there with a little diabetes screening. Um, some folks will be there with blood pressure booths. Flu shots will be there. Um, just like a Nolan, the colon will be there, a big inflatable walkthrough colon to understand how a polyp forms and how it might turn to cancer and how the benefits of a colonoscopy and just really, it's just like table to table. You just keep going, wow, I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, you're kidding me. And like, so this is one step, not only in health education, but it's another step in addressing one of the findings of the health needs assessment, which is some people just don't know the services services that are out there or the health awareness. And so the fair is like a, a in-person opportunity to socialize and work on mental well-being because you're with, with others and enjoying the, the company of others while learning about what's offered in your community and learning ways to improve your own health and take charge of your own health. I'll turn it over to Lauren. Wow. Dorotha, that was amazing. I was just like sitting here thinking or reflecting that one thing that makes these non-communicable or that's lingo for saying chronic diseases or those things that go on for a long time and they often don't go away completely. 
but I was thinking that the most commonly diagnosed cancers in Alaska are breast, prostate, lung, and colorectal. And when you combine those, that accounts for 48% or almost half of all cancers. And that's a leading cause of death in our state. And that's very, very similar in SKP to the best of our knowledge. So why is that important? That's important because those three are avoidable so we can prevent them. So, and how do you do that? You know, sometimes it's, there's a complicated answer, but going to the Rotary Health Fair or going there again and walking around and talking to people will get you fired up and get you answers too. But also to connect you to all those services that, that we've had a hard time as a community connecting to the needs over the past several uh, years or iterations of the health needs assessment. Excellent. Uh, wow. So there's a, there's a lot going on. I, I want to add in that a lot of employers are uh, providing for their staff uh, those uh, blood draws as well. Um, that's something that KBBI does for our full-time staff also. And uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to be able to ensure for, uh, from a staffing perspective, to ensure the long-term uh, health and endurance of your staff and make sure that they will be there when you need them. So uh, another great opportunity to be had there for the community and for uh, for staff of employers here in town. Thank you for that. Um, it, great plug, Josh, that if if you as an employer would be interested next year, it's too late this year to, to um, set it up, but we give you your own button on the website, rotaryhealthfair.org. You got your own little button that your staff clicks on to make their appointment. And um, we are happy to set that up for any employer um, in the community. Just email me or email rotaryhealthfair at gmail.com. And rotaryhealthfair at gmail.com go goes to the committee and we'll make sure and get you signed up for next year, or at least reach out to you next year um, in case you're interested. Okay, thank you, Dorotha. Okay, and the health fair is that starts on Friday, is that correct? Well, the blood draws are happening now. Right. So the blood draws are there. I just counted and there's about 48 appointments left Thursday and Friday. There are no blood draws on Saturday. So you'd have to get online right now, rotaryhealthfair.org, rotaryhealthfair.org and make your appointment. You pay right online. Um, and then you go to the fair on Saturday to pick them up. Saturday, the fair is 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the high school this Saturday. Great. Thank you, Dorotha. Well, I'd like to thank our guests on Coffee Table this morning, Public Health Nurse Lauren Carroll and South Peninsula Hospital spokesperson Dorotha Ferrero. Thank you so much for being with us here and sharing your uh, experience and expertise. And uh, thank you to KBBI reporter Jamie Deep for joining me in the studio this morning. You've been listening to The Coffee Table here on KBBI AM 890 Homer and in Seward, 88.1 FM, K201AO 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Have a good morning.